Dr. Sharon Blackie, and I'd like to welcome you to my podcast, This Mythic Life. Like all of my work, this podcast is drawn from ancient but still bubbling wellsprings, from the old fairy tales, myths, and philosophies of the West. These traditions, from the magical stories of old Ireland to the soul-centered myth-tellings of ancient Greece, are rich, complex, and beautiful. They offer up a world in which everything is not only alive, but has purpose and intentionality of its own. I believe that it's time to reclaim those ways of being and seeing and bring them back out into the world where they belong. In this series of conversations centered around the publication of my book, Haggitude, Reimagining the Second Half of Life, I offer you reflections from women who can sprinkle a few breadcrumbs to help us find our way back home through the dark forest of our forgetting. Haggitude is a radical rewriting of the future for all women in their mid and elder years, beginning with the reclaiming of menopause as a liberating alchemical moment from which to shift into your chosen, authentic and fulfilling future. You can find out more about Haggitude, both the book and the membership program, at haggitude.org. I'm delighted to be joined on this series of Haggitude podcasts this morning by Alexandra Pope, who is a writer and co-founder of The Red School. And Alexandra, I think it would be nicer if you could introduce yourself a little bit and, and your work at The Red School. Um, absolutely, Sharon. Um, well, <laughs> it's a bit of a leading question, like, introducing myself. I feel my mind sort of expand outwards. But... Um, really, I have, I mean, I have a background in psychotherapy and teaching and, um, and all through my years leading up to menopause, I was uh, courting this other work and, you know, doing things around it, this work on menstruality, which is, of course, what Red School is all about. And then um, at menopause, in true menopause Style. I kicked off all the other stuff and stayed with this deep impulse and it has become Red School, this organization Red School. And Red School is, um, we are teaching on the psychological and spiritual powers of the menstrual cycle and this arc, this journey we go on from menarche to menopause. So we look at the menstrual cycle as not just this biological event which is pretty cosmic in itself <laughs> in what you know our bodies can do and just knowing of course about the biology uh, the physiology of the cycle is incredibly liberating and empowering in and of itself but the cycle um, also is this um, lovely container that holds us to ourselves so when we're connected to the cycle we're connected to ourselves and it roots us in our being. So it roots us in our self-care and um, moving, you know, getting to know our own nervous system and energy and so on. So that level of work, well, sort of well-being level we talk about. But the cycle also has this uh, deeper impulse, initiatory process. Um, it is a series of mini initiations each month at menstruation, which culminates at menopause in a very grand initiation and it's what it's doing is it's uh, an initiating us into what our calling is for want of a better word you know what our deep soul is 
yearning to do and be and serve in the world and it's it roots us when you practice cycle awareness you have to practice cycle awareness to have all this it roots you in that so we talk about that as the creative layer of the work it really teaches us about the creative process of what our creativity our calling is and how to express it in the world and then finally i the sort of summation of it all is that it is um, a spiritual path and practice that we're restoring in our work at Red School. And um, yes, that's so we do it through various courses and programs and so on and so forth. Yeah, Great. We'll, we'll, get, we'll get to uh, we'll get right into, I hope, menopause and and what comes after menopause. But I'm kind of curious, just as a bit of an aside, um, for someone like me who had endometriosis for most of her adult life, for whom menstruation was a difficult process. I kind of wish I'd found you um, many, many years ago. To try I wish you had some purpose in it. But j just briefly, perhaps for those who are listening, who are, are still menstruating, you know, how how does that work for someone for whom the menstrual cycle, it, you know, it can only ever be a relief when it vanishes at menopause? Yes, indeed, that's so. Well, the interesting thing is that this work erupted out of my shocking menstrual pain, which was, to all intents and purposes, endometriosis. I wouldn't get cut open to get the title, but the doctor said, yeah, you have all the characteristics of endo. Um, so at the age of 31, I got this rip-roaring pain that would come back and it was shattering would last for four days. And um, I made the radical decision. I'll never forget it. I said, okay, my body is talking to me and I'm going to believe in my body and follow it. And I, because I just wouldn't do surgery and drugs. I just, they, they don't work for me. Um, yeah. And I, I just, committed to healing my body through natural means but what that meant was I had to really give space to menstruation because I I mean I did take painkillers occasionally when I had to show up in certain work situations but I had some control over things for various reasons and um, and I used to just take the day off as well um, I uh, yeah I, I gave I used to, I just basically sweated it out with the pain and um, and it's it's a long story. <laughs> I write about it in my first book, The Wild Genie. Um, but essentially, and it took me a long time to heal. I mean, as in quite a few years, but each cycle, it's felt like something was shifting because I was combining it with a whole lot of dietary stuff and so on. And, um, but it felt like revelation. <laughs> I felt like the veils were party. <laughs> It's extraordinary and I healed my body I healed my body of this insane pain and it honestly feels like a miracle and I one of the things I learned is that when we can't follow our natural impulses through the menstrual cycle when we have to kind of just keep going all the time and and aren't able to um, uh, pace really the changing energy and mood of our being um, it creates tension in the body. It's like we seize up. And um, and that stress is behind so much of so many health symptoms, stress is there. And 
um, I'm not wanting to reduce it to that, but stress. So learning to manage stress or reduce st stress and really support your being more and more will reduce the pain. And it's not always as simple as that. It can certainly reduce the pain. For some people, it can actually clear it up. Um, and we've got lots of you know, people writing and, you know, I've been doing your work for a few months and I don't have the menstrual pain anymore. Or they write in, they, they probably didn't have endo, which she's known. Um, or they write in and say, I, yes, I, I still have the pain, it's reduced, but I have a completely different relationship with it now and I somehow don't mind it, I can meet it. Mm -hmm. It's a very interesting process. And, and I discovered that too with myself. I mean, my pain was bonkers. I, I mean, uh, yeah, <laughs> I know. we could talk I know. menstrual pain, you know, swap stories. It was, you know, you couldn't maintain life. I would just roll around and scream. I would move my body. And it was, I just had to ride out the pain. Yeah. Um, and I think that, that point that you make about um, taking space for it or not having space for it in this culture is mm -hmm. absolutely it seems to me at the root of problems with menopause, not just that we are medicalizing it, which in itself is ridiculous. You know, the idea that we see a natural process of our body as, as an illness that must be medicated or that we must, you know, uh, find whatever ways around we possibly can, but also the fact that it is a pause, not just physical pause, but as you say, a psycho-spiritual pause. And we're not able, um, encouraged, to take the, the necessary time out in any way to to attend to it. So, yeah, that I think that we would both agree is, is at the root of it. But before we come on to menopause specifically, given that this, uh, one of the questions that I'm really enjoying asking people um, in these this series of conversations is, given that this is a, a, a series of podcasts that is called Hagitude um, after my book, what does the word hag evoke in you because of course it is very polarizing you know some people think oh my god we can't call ourselves hags and other people feel quite empowered by the idea of reclaiming a word that has in a sense been used against us so what does it evoke in you that word well i have the classic image of the very old woman who in a way has been abandoned by society and has and there's a kind of madness about her and but there's also a freedom because i mean she's been abandoned by society so she doesn't give a rat's ass <laughs> <laughs> uh, and there's something the the figure i see that figure is quite alone as well and it is that abandonment thing um so it's a very mixed image I'm giving you of both something that has been a figure that's been rejected. I mean, it has the energy of an old witch about it. And but it is this feeling of the, this figure has been rejected, but simultaneously because she's been rejected, she's she's been abandoned by society, but she is full of abandon. It's an interesting juxtaposition. Yeah, it is. And, and I see it very much in, in the same way. So I, I do see when I think of Hag, um, or was thinking of Hag, uh, leading up to writing a book, it was very much about that wildness, that sense of, of a wild power, not, not uncontained, um, you know, not just kind of lashing out, but just of a fierce kind of energy um, that is 
fun in some ways as well. You know, I see a lot of laughter in the idea of a, of a I, I can see the laughter. Absolutely. And I really like what you say about it, not it, that there's a, a, a certain containment about it. And what I'm, when you said that, what I felt into or sensed was um, this sense of her being utterly her own person. Yeah. And, um, and really the disturber on the fringes that it is the um you know the disturber i mean i think of i use this image in our in my um our latest book on menopause um of uh the hag that disturbs the sleeping beauty uh wedding um birthing party you know to celebrate the birth of this beautiful princess and having a lovely beautiful life and then in she comes and says ah she's gonna prick her finger and die you know you know nothing like popping the great perfection bubble right. and i think is the haggitude uh, the ha hag figure that as that disturber of the peace so trickster really so it's, it's interesting it's a so, trickster. yeah so in haggitude there, there are various kind of archetypal old women that I'm pulling out of our old myths and, and folk tales. And one of my favourites is is the trickster character, the one who just shows up. And I think often of, of the the classic loathly ladies, you know, in the old fairy tales, the ones yes. who burst out of the wood with boar tusks and all kinds of malarkeys going on and basically tell the hero all of the ways in which he has completely and utterly failed, uh, which is great. And, you know, the classic disruptor. So, um, so if you were to look at that bunch of archetypes and I know that you you know you haven't read the book and you don't know what they're all about but you know we have things like the fairy godmother who's a kind of mentor character we have Baba Yaga who's the very dangerous old woman the initiator yeah. in the wood um, we have the henwife who's a kind of you know domestic kind of slightly benign uh, keeper of women's mysteries but I suspect you might you might love the trickster character that might be your inner hag Oh, what a brilliant thing. Well, firstly, I want to say I love the phrase haggitude. I mean, it's freaking brilliant. It's just brilliant for the place that uh, I'm in moving into. Yeah, what, what place we go into post-menopause. It's a brilliant word. And I do, I have that full energy, the trickster energy. I do call myself a disturber of the peace. Sometimes when people say to me, you know, what do you do? Or, you know, I say, well, I'm a disturber of the peace. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting that, isn't it? And it's essential. It's an essential role in, in society, isn't it? It is. It is. It is. Yes, I, I do like that full character. I And that idea of, yeah, being slightly outside the rules of normal life and in inverted commas. Uh, it's great. Oh, it's great what you are doing, Sharon. <laughs> I just love it. Recovering all those archetypes those different types of hags you know recovering all those roles and dignifying them and well, inspiration because you know it's good to say yes yeah, they, they offer you they offer you something to inhabit with um i want to say it's not quite with pleasure but with kind of excitement actually yeah. oh yes delight yeah there's a delight in it isn't there and i think that that really helps me believe that there you know there really is life after menopause um that it that it can actually be um not only filled with meaning fun um as well that there you know that there are things to do and and people to be that are actually that are actually quite exciting so 
in if we look at your own stage on the cycle for people that don't know you you mentioned that you're postmenopause yes i am postmenopause i'm about 15 years out from menopause wow. now where are you? <laughs> um, um, well, I'm 61 and I had menopause when I came off the pill for endometriosis at 50. So oh, about 11 yeah. years out. from 11 now. years out, yeah. Uh, yes, I'm late 60s now. Um, so I'm postmenopause. And and I've we've sort of introduced this idea in, in our menopause book, Wise Power, of sort of moving through. We, you, you know how that phrase second spring, menopause is called the second spring because you have a sort of renew, you step into a new life basically. So um, uh, so you've got a beginning of a new life cycle season coming. And so this notion that you move through a kind of seasonal arc uh, from menopause up until death. And um, I very much feel like I'm in it's very interesting. I I feel I'm in the late summer, shall we say, of that seasonal arc, and I have no. It's so interesting to track. I, I wonder if you noticed this too, Sharon, of sort of tracking how my nature, my psychology, if you like, my uh, impulses, my um, the way I'm wired or what, what's important for me, how that is subtly shifting. And I think this might evolve into a conversation on elderhood, actually. Um, but what I've noticed about sort of two years ago, I started to get sort of, oh, I wasn't comfortable. I was thinking, oh, I was resisting some kind of shift that was coming. I could feel it coming, you know of another gear i was moving into another gear within myself so it's like the seasons are different gears within your being almost if you think like you can think like that about this different seasons of your life and um and i think i i, I am now i'm not resisting anymore and i feel as though i'm sort of on this cusp of coming into the autumn phase of my life which has a very different feel and tone to it um, I, w I still don't want to say I'm in it. It's... What what tone would, would that be compared to? Well, that's a good question, and I don't know if I can put it into words, but I'll have a crack at it. You know, um, there's, I would use the word discernment. I mean, discernment is really with you. You, know, you come out of the womb of menopause, like, and this is kind of your new muscle. But there's a, a a deeper seriousness coming in. Um, there's a resolve. There's some kind of resolve. It feels like a slight narrowing. I mean, I feel very liminal, you know, as in very expansive all the time. But there's something energetically. So that exists. But there's a kind of narrowing in and a seriousness and a discipline. There's a certain kind of discipline that I'm holding in myself now. And, and it's a seriousness. It's, it, that doesn't mean I'm not, I'm terrible at cracking jokes and disturbing the pieces. <laughs> One of the things I do all the time, but there's this kind of resolve or seriousness or it, and it's to do with commitment to serving life. Yeah. You noticing that? Yes, very much. Yeah. yeah and but and, and it's just becoming because you're on that arc anyway i mean that line if you like from 
coming out of menopause that's you know you're now you've stepped into kind of world work almost but there's a this quality the quality of my attention to it has changed and there's a certain i recognize that i have to there's it is the word responsibility is getting stronger in me and a recognition of not wasting my energy which i mean i don't anyway but but it's it's this quality of focus. I don't know if I can say it any better than that. Now that's that's brilliant way of saying it, and and I'm 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 absolutely with you. I think I think it's a it's a quality that I've seen many women who who pay attention to this process allow themselves to to kind of grow into. And you know, for for me, and as I think for many people, menopause is in some sense a reclaiming of yourself. You know, from in most people's lives, years of caring for nurturing either other people or you know mm. work projects or whatever else whatever it is you think that defines and builds your life and it's a kind of drawing inwards isn't it and a kind of reclaiming of the essence of yourself when all of that is stripped away <laughs> but you know, absolutely that. So yes, sure. and you're 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 reclaiming yourself and that's really important work to do I think during that you know that that period which um happens around menopause but then there is yes there is that sense of moving out okay now I've got myself I can actually use it for the good of you know in service or whatever to to the world much much more effectively than I ever could have done when I was flailing around like a mad thing trying to to build this and to build that you're so right I love that phrase where you said I've got myself now and in the moment of getting yourself you you really it, that that act just awakens your service to the world it just um, even if you don't know what that is it you, you feel within you uh, a responsibility to something bigger than you and it's not to n nurturing others anymore that sort of not necessarily no. uh, it may have an element of that but but the the, the background theme is um I want to just say serving the world, the soul of the world. You know, it it has that quality about it. That's a very kind of broad term, but I think you've articulated it actually brilliantly. Well, we both talk about this concept of of calling, and I certainly have you know worked with that for a very very long time. That idea of a gift that you bring into the world, which dates you know well at least back as far as ancient Greece and Plato. That idea that every soul comes into the world with a particular gift to give at a particular time. It could be something that appears to be very small, but of course we never know what actually is small in the grand scheme of things and what matters. Um, but I really do think that even if you have been able to display elements of that gift or that calling earlier in your life, there is some kind of super flourishing or super flowering of it that comes into elderhood. And I think that's why I'm so passionate about encouraging, inspiring women to look for that in elderhood rather than just looking for all of the stuff that hurts or falls off or breaks or, or otherwise declines, you know, because it's it can be such a perfect flowering at a time when we're told that we're supposed to be invisible and shut up and, you know, desiccated. Yes, 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 to everything you said. Absolutely. I think menopause absolutely liberates the gift. And I think it's because of finding yourself. Now, I, I almost think of it like when you find yourself, you create the channel for it to flow finally, you know, properly. Yes, it's all, it's there. I mean, I was nurturing it before, 
but there's something about that discovery of oneself that makes that facilitates the expression of it and the other element is in discovering yourself you, you it's just so liberating you, you you i mean any kind of self-censorship i had around doing this work you know just completely it, it, it it's not it just fell away just got obliterated by the the bigness of it coming through and i think that's our elderhood work is serving that and i loved what you said about there's nothing we don't it, it can seem very small in the big scheme of things but we don't know how crucial that simple act that you're caring for that simple piece of patch of land that you you know metaphorical or literal that you're nurturing we don't know how crucial that is it is crucial but in the moment we think oh it's only a little small patch you know what effect am i having um we'll never know We'll never know. But there's but, a beauty in that, isn't there? Isn't there? I, I often think of it as kind of, you know, if, if you really are in your calling, in, in that big kind of meaningful way, you kind of lose attachment to outcome because all you can ever possibly do is just be it. And it doesn't matter what the yes. outcome is because you can't be anything else because everything else has been stripped away kind of by menopause. and. <sighs> I love what you're saying. I'm sort of having, it's just so lovely hearing those words. Yeah, you just have to be it. And I think also the thing that I discovered was that I trusted that it was meaningful. Right. Yeah, and I think that's something that menopause gave me. I actually always had a sense of that. That just was just grace. I just called it grace somehow mm -hmm. in all the shit of my life. Somehow I always had this feeling of something meaningful at work. But postmenopause, I, I, I trust, I can't do anything else, as you say. I mean, I'm just not equipped for anything else. <laughs> I look over there and I go, oh, that's so cool. I wish I had that. And I go, what the fuck? You just, you know, just, you don't have that. You are hardwired for this. Don't argue. I mean, I don't argue now. I used to argue once. <laughs> um and but there's this thing of trust that grows you just you just or can i even say it's like a knowing that it is meaningful you can't you can't see the outcome of it but you know you just have to do this mm. then i think you stop fighting and, and railing against things that you know might have driven you crazy when you were older it's not a kind of passive acceptance i don't want to paint any picture of passivity because i don't think either of us are very passive in the way that we are approaching elderhood but <laughs> but it is just some sense of okay this is this is it's working out this way because you know that's the best way that i can fulfill my gift so when i i was diagnosed about a year ago my great initiation to elderhood while i was um uh writing hackitude um i was diagnosed with lymphoma which was great at the beginning of a um, major international pandemic and that whole process of um literally kind of walking through the valley of death i suppose for a while really felt I mean you know I, I I wouldn't give it back to you um it felt like a, a gift unpleasant as it was <laughs> believe me but it really felt like something some kind of um I don't, I don't know what the right word is tempering or something you know that no you have to you have to do that in order to really really let go of all of the stuff that you have singularly failed to let go of even though you talk a lot about it you know it just felt like a a necessary passage and I do think that 
there is something very magical. I don't mean in some kind of very, very way. There's something very magical about that process of menopause and, and just after menopause where you're really trying to, to tempering maybe a good word, you know, to really to really figure out, to really hone the the, the, the gift and, and, and who you are, the essence of who you are in the world. It doesn't have to be that dramatic. Uh, everybody has their own, I think. Was, was there a process for you that really mm. off that you can talk about? Um, I've, yes, I, I just really want to acknowledge what you just said there. It's so profound about that illness really uh, taking you to the core of something that it just becomes non-negotiable now. It's like a life-death choice and, you know, it's good you just have to choose yourself, don't you, mm -hmm. and drop the crap. And there's yeah. always such a lot to drop. And there's awful lot to drop. You get to this age, you're pretty much covered in it, I suspect. <laughs> I know. So, yeah, what's interesting for me is I had that process very much. That I, I, so I'll talk, I'll say menopause. I felt evolved into menopause. And the things that we write about in our book, yes, I could tick those boxes. But I felt inside it all instead of battered by menopause. And I felt um, a process of, I felt dignity at work and I felt ready for menopause. You know, I felt like, yeah, I, the cycling work is done now. I'm, I'm actually ready to turn and meet this next chapter. And I, the years of cycling had really prepped me for my trust in the unknown and trust in in my calling and trusting giving up all that respectable life i'd built to follow this calling because i changed everything in my life but it felt like an orderly process at work and i think uh, so part, I think that was partly to do with the fact of practicing cycle of awareness very intimately all that time leading right into menopause. But also I had been really worked like you by illness. And um, I had really struggled through my life with chronic fatigue and the endometriosis was very much a feature of that severe, severe, severe insomnia. Man, can that take you to the wall? <laughs> And um, I, again, you see, I made this, like the radical decision I made around my menstrual pain, I kept making that decision with my health. Otherwise, I would have gone mad. I kept saying to myself, this is meaningful. This is, who, this is what I'm living right now. So I can either, you know, say my life is fucked and, excuse my language, and... Um, and sort of condemn myself to nothingness or I can choose to meet this as part of my life path and that something is meaningful is at work and of course I railed <laughs> at the injustice of it all ah you know especially when you're ambitious and you don't freaking sleep at night right. ah, Jesus it's insane. It's insane. I just remember this insane rage in me. And just having to keep meeting all that. So, and I, and I kept 
making severe uh, strong intentions to find a path to heal and I, and I found extraordinary people and, and, and I got lots of support and I healed and I was healing and I healed the menstrual pain and I came through it and and by the time I got to menopause I was actually in much better nick than I'd ever been and I had these amazing self-care practices in place you see you see which is the crucial thing for menopause so I had done so much of that sort of betrayal work that one goes through at menopause before I'd gotten there dealing with health stuff. So by the time I'd got to menopause, I felt like I had muscle for menopause. <laughs> okay, okay, menopause, bring it on. I wasn't literally thinking that, but I felt I'd built some kind of, uh, resi not resilience, I mean, I did have that, but capacity in me to 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 meet it and make sense of it and use it and not get battered by it yeah so that that sense of being inside it and the kind of challenges i had were of a more spiritual nature and it was to do with my relationship if you like with the divine um in the sense that i had to grow up and you see, I'd always felt like I had been held by something, this quality of grace I had felt much of my life, which I eternally give thanks for, because it helped me weather all the health, you know, all the insanity of my health stuff. And at menopause, that checked out. That was the challenge for me, that I lost that sense of meaning. And I actually did feel, oh, maybe it is a just a black hole. Interesting. Mm. It's just a black hole. And it didn't last for long. It was a very distinct moment. And I can particularly remember the epicenter of that moment where it happened, sitting on the balcony of my flat in Australia, <laughs> looking at the back garden, and it hit me. And um, that it was the, there was a certain kind of immaturity in me. I guess it was the work of facing my shadow, actually, Sharon. Yeah, that was the challenging bit. Yeah, and being really taken to the core of my ignorance, my ignorances. Yeah, and that's the I think uh, the most frightening part of menopause for a lot of people, isn't it? And that's why it just seems to me tragic that there is no preparation for this. You know that everybody. Mm. kind of has the kind of the experience I mean you clearly had much more knowledge of the processes yes I did. It doesn't always make it e easier to go through but at least you understand what is happening whereas yes. you know, most people just have absolutely no skills around this kind of area they just haven't you know they haven't been exposed to it and and I'm always very curious about how we could make that better you know what set of resources do we need for women to actually build into um that that really disruptive and quite frightening period that's the thing that's the thing everyone's turning up unresourced Sharon you've summed it up brilliantly everyone's turning up completely unresourced unresourced in their physical you know self-care because people are just stressed and tired you know the responsibilities are building often in your late 40s you may even have parents you know on top of managing family work etc you might have more responsibilities work and and then suddenly you've got aging parents or whatever 
And so there's that level of just physical chi in your body is dropping. And then these levels of stress. So this, that is a massive component in if we were just more rested meeting menopause, honestly, it could yeah. be just that alone could be radically different. Um, but also to understand rites of passage. It is a rite of passage. It is to understand. We need to understand that this is a normal, healthy process. You know, it's not an aberration. There's not some kind of flaw to our design, if you like, uh, that we need synthetic hormones to prop us up with or whatever. It is an it is a normal, healthy transition and um, that it needs to be dignified and we need to dignify the psychological spiritual dynamic that you're going to go through and to normalize it is not the word it is to um, well it is to dignify it that it is it, that you're evolving Menopause is an evolution. You're going through an evolution into a more expanded understanding of yourself and life and what you're here to serve. Now, isn't that a powerful statement? That's power. Yeah. Why are we not? And this is what, of course, what you're doing and, and myself <laughs> too. But yeah, we are talking about the power that is awaiting you when you come through menopause that and the process of menopause is serving you to be able to step up to that power to embody that power and if you and, and not understanding that means you often just get battered by that power actually and that's what I often see in postmenopause women I see them with this kind of dangerous energy but it's not serving them and it's not serving the people around them there's there's you know, because they just haven't been supported to make peace with themselves. They haven't been resourced. Mm. And that that is the subject of your book, of your your forthcoming book, Wise Power, which you co-authored. Yes, I co-authored with my wonderful, magnificent colleague, Shani Hugo Wurlitzer. And that's out at the end of September, I think. Yes, the 20th of September. It's available now for pre-order. And if people are interested, they can go to Wise powerbook.com got it wisepowerbook.com to pre-order now and that is i guess a kind of manual for if i can put it that way that's entry to you can put it that way it's, it's it is for how to work through menopause yeah. i have seen the proof of it and it's a very very fine book um, much thank you very much sharon i really appreciate and your testimonial of the book it was fabulous thank you so much yes it really puts menopause in context it gives it a home it gives it meaning so and then also it describes you know the process you're going to go through menopause and how to support yourself with that and then importantly what you're emerging into post-menopause and the the one thing that um clearly is inevitable in this great journey that we are undertaking through elderhood is that it will end and it does end inevitably in death and another one of the questions that i'm enjoying asking people is if you picture death how is it for you is it a character does it have a face is it an energy? How how do you how do you think of 
death as a being, I suppose, not necessarily a process that, you know, to go through, but, but what is death? I don't have a sort of face or a character for death. What I have had often as a thought is feeling like there's going to come a moment when I know death is calling me. And I, I just had this image of me getting up and walking off <laughs> towards death. It's an image of just walking from a house into a field. And will that be, will that be okay? Well, the image I, that has come to me is a peaceful image, Sharon. Yes. And I say yes, because even if death came now, I would feel I have completed something. I have completed I have been able to satisfy, if you like, something of my spirit in this world and served something that I had come to serve. I would feel it was complete enough. And I have this feeling that death will come, because there's more I want to do, there's loads. I, you know, man, you're not short of creative ideas post-menopause, let me tell you. <laughs> just a bit too much it's a bit exhausting actually uh, but i have a feeling of i do have a feeling of peacefulness and completeness about it actually and i think that's probably also a sense of feeling comfortable in, in, with your calling you know with your gift it's just it is thing. that actually it has everything to do with that Sharon, the, of just really accepting who I am in this lifetime and you know I've hankered after different kinds of stories for myself that didn't eventuate and it's such a kind of relief to really embrace the story that I am unfolding and the meaning in that and and that's I think you're right is what allows for what I've said about death yes I, I kind of want to ask you that, that question too. What does death look like? Um, I have a character that I call Old Bone Mother. I'm a great collector of bones and skulls. I have them everywhere here. <sighs> I seem to happen upon them at key times. And I just have this sense of an old woman. There's a beautiful story that I share in Haggitude, which actually I think I possibly have the only English translation of, which I'm making available on my website, which is an old oh Siberian yes. saga where... To cut a long story short, there's a hero who dies three times and an old man, you know, one-legged, one-armed, one-everything, the classic shamanic figure, brings mm. him back to life three times. And the third time, when the guy still hasn't done what he told him to do, he gets a little bit pissed off and says, OK, I'm not having any more of this. So he takes the bones, He, he kind of because the bones have been picked clean by the time he shows up, he takes the bones to an old woman who lives underground and in a cave surrounded by skeletons. Um, and he says to her, here's some, here's some fuel for your fire. And the old woman says, oh, great, you know, I'd run out of fuel. So she burns the bones and then scatters the ashes on her bed and she sleeps on the ashes of the bones. And of course, the young man comes back to life again. So I think when I found that story, it was like some amazing light bulb. You know, to me, that is that sense of you know the, the kind of the rebirth inherent in death but also just I, I, I love bones <laughs> so yeah I see her as a kind of collector of skulls and you know 
bits and pieces. Karen, I can't wait to read to get your book. And it's, is it actually? It's not out. When does yours comes out at the beginning of September, doesn't it? September the first. Yeah. Oh right. Okay. Yeah, good. I think that's one of my favourite stories in it. But... I, I can't wait to read it. It'll be fodder for my disruptive self <laughs> i hope so I yes hope that would be a grand thing yes an ally it's so important actually to have these stories for people to know that also i mean that's what i think of with our menopause what picks people go oh i'm not going mad after all you know there's me this is meaningful and to have that kind of buffer of a story of a yeah that that it, it's just what i need that'll be fabulous there are, there are for sure lots of magic in stories. Um, yeah. It sounds finally, as we as we come to an end, um, it sounds as if for you, Elder, not that it wasn't difficult going into it and there haven't been immense challenges, but as if that growing into elderhood post-menopause has been a very positive experience. Are there any things that you miss that you're sorry to have lost? Well, that's a great question. Well, I, it's interesting. I do look back on my 20s, actually, interestingly, and a certain carefreeness. I think it, it is possibly to do with just the physical energy of that time and how, you know, I could just up sticks and go traveling somewhere and, and uh, or that uh, they were external adventures and I sort of do internal, I do massive internal, my adventures are very of a kind of psychic, spiritual, creative nature now. So my life is unbelievably satisfying and creative and deeply, deeply fulfilling. I think it's that no responsibility, you know, I, I look back and I go, oh wow, I didn't worry. I didn't worry about, you know, the sort of the, the things of just making a living or, you know, man, you know, because Shani and I run an organization that is quite a responsibility. And I'm going, oh, do I really want to accept? I go, yeah, yeah, I chose this. I created this. <laughs> and this is the channel for the work that I'm doing. And I think I hanker for no responsibility. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Well, maybe that's another stage. Maybe that's in the next season. Do you think that's going to come? Do you think that's going to come? Oh, thank you. You've just given me. <laughs> I've given you. I've given you a hope for the future. <laughs> You've given me a little hope that I'm going to circle right back into that place. Or... Well, it's interesting, isn't it? I think it's yeah. possible. Yeah, I've often thought of elderhood as being in two stages, and, and throughout my life, I've had a terrible tension between the kind of writer in me. Um, who just wants to, you know, hide in a darkened room and and, yes. and and not to be visible in the world. And the part of me that knows that being visible and doing this work is part of the reason why I am here. And it's a terrible tension. And I do feel the balance shifting as I get older so that I feel it's okay to be a little bit more inward turning. But I wonder if that isn't some progression for me during my elderhood, you know, that it just kind of like I gradually fade into the deep woods like Baba Yaga or something and, and that that becomes okay. And probably that progression isn't for everybody, you know, maybe a lot of people will just still be visible all the way up to the end and that's who they are. But I kind of like that idea that there's still, oh. there's still another transformation maybe ahead, you know? I, I Yes, I like that. I really like that image that there's another transformation ahead. 
it doesn't it doesn't feel dull this process no that i'm in it feels like a, a, it is a process of revelation of uh things for me you know the things that i'm doing and the nature of life and my understanding of spiritual life and this word power um so it's not the end it's not the end until you cark it <laughs> and then that's the beginning again isn't it there we go there you go you get to come back again old woman old bone mother sleeps on the bones <laughs> yeah <laughs> sounds exhausting sometimes but yes okay we'll, we'll go for that <laughs> I, it has been an... I hope there's a few naps built into that journey <laughs> <Just> <laughs> It has been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much. Karen, thank you. I have absolutely loved this conversation. So fabulous and fabulous questions. Me too. Thank, thank you. you. And so people can find you at the book website that you mentioned earlier on and also at the Red School. Yes, redschool.net for Red all our just information at Red School programs, Brilliant. And courses and stuff on menopause, et cetera, Perfect. et cetera. Yes. Wonderful. All right. Well, thank you very much again. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of This Mythic Life in a series centred on Haggitude. And if you'd like to find out more about Haggitude, the book and the membership programme, please visit haggitude.org.